0: We'll read also from the 10th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 10, verses 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. The scripture reading provided the end of this account and the text here, the beginning of this account. We can learn uh, something from uh, Cornelius, and we can learn something from how his inquiry uh, ended up in a, I want to say a spontaneous uh, church service and prayer meeting, but it wasn't entirely spontaneous because they had four days to prepare for it or to ponder uh, what might happen here. Peter was sent for because it was revealed to Cornelius that he should send for him. He didn't know what Peter would say. In the meantime, Peter, as he embarked from where he was to where Cornelius was, didn't know what they wanted. But when he uh, appeared there, he asked them, to what intent have you called me? And it was explained to Peter the vision that Cornelius had and Peter proceeded unto him to preach what you and I hear every church service. He preached Jesus. And at the conclusion of that uh, message, or as the message was concluding, the power of God fell and we see the outcome. We we pray for that outcome every, every time we come together. Cornelius wasn't used to services like this or even like that one. So he, he had a hunger, and that's one of the things we can learn from him. But in this text, the, the second chapter in particular, or second verse rather, in particular, uh, we can break it down simply this way. We see that Cornelius lived carefully, he lived charitably, and he lived prayerfully. He lived carefully in that he was a devout man, and feared God with all his house. He made a conscious decision to be devoted to God, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. Hence, he's called a devout man. And we read later in the same chapter that he is referred to as a just man one that feared God and was a good report among all the nations of the Jews. So he he was intense in his desire to please God. Isn't that what we want? We want to please God, and we want a certain intensity as we endeavor to accomplish that. He wanted to know God and to serve God, uh, so he was—he was what uh, Titus, uh, Paul wrote to Titus 2:6, uh, uh, calls sober-minded. He was serious-minded. Yeah. To be sober, in our language today, we would think of it as being the opposite of intoxicated. But of course, he's not talking about uh, alcohol. He's—he's he's talking about uh, the, the being consumed or intoxicated with. Uh, the events of the world and be so uh, enamored and so wrapped up in uh, life that we forget about god he he was serious about serving God yeah. seven days a week twenty four hours a day Amen. as are we he had uh, Cornelius did god centered thinking rather than thinking that was independent of God. So when we make decisions, when we endeavor to embark upon a day, we are very devoted in our determination to serve God and take God into account. We don't want to think or to do anything that will distract us from that mission of pleasing God. We don't want our our mind to be cluttered or disturbed by other things that do come up in life. We, we somehow must be uh, self-disciplined enough to let those slough off and keep our focus upon the Lord. Yeah. It's good to have a, a good time in life, but we even to read from the Bible that the levity, much levity carries the risk of carelessness. Remember, he lived carefully yeah. rather than carelessly. To be careless runs, runs the risk of degenerating into being reckless. We want to live carefully, Amen. and we uh, thank God that he uh, helps us as we uh, endeavor to to do what uh, have the traits uh, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We uh, Some things are not to be once named among the saints, the foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. That's... Not careful living, it's careless living. Not convenient, could be uh, translated not fitting or out of place. The expectation of of a Christian walk, even by sinners, is that it be an appropriate walk. They may not flatter you, but believe me, they're watching you and, and me, and there, there are expectations. Sometimes the expectations are... Uh, ones that nobody can meet as far as that goes, but the expectation of propriety is one that every one of us can meet by the grace of God. So we never want to speak or conduct ourselves in a manner that uh, approaches impropriety. We're serious about pleasing God, and we're serious about avoiding uh, any communication that would corrupt good manners. There were not many Roman captains like him, He was the captain of 100. Before he became a captain of 100, he was careful enough to gain the respect of his superiors who appointed him ultimately to be a captain. He was probably, I would imagine, the envy of the entire Roman army if they knew about him. Of course, I'm sure that some were jealous of him. But any, any soldier, if they had a choice, they wanted to serve under Cornelius. Because he was a fair-minded man. He was uh, serious not only about his faith, but also in the manner in which he, he did his job. Yeah. So ought we to be. Once in a while, uh, it seems mostly when, when I'm talking to the airline and have a question and speak to a representative, and they, they say, after this call, please stay on the line uh, to take a survey. And then, uh, sometimes I stay on the line, because the representatives are typically very good. And the question is asked, If uh, on a scale of one to five, would you hire the person that you just spoke to? Well, usually it's five. Otherwise, I probably won't stick around to take the survey. But on a scale of one to five, those who you uh, work with in in the world, if they stayed around for uh, a survey what would be their assessment of your performance, if you want to call it that, as a Christian, your life? Because Christianity is not a performance. If it's a performance, it'll fall apart at the end. It's a faith. We're careful. So on a scale of 1 to 5, where would you stand? Well, we trust uh, that God will help us uh, to stand at a a 5 by the grace of God. We certainly uh, won't boast of absolute perfection, but we will boast, if you will, of our determination to have a careful walk with God and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The the writer uh, to Titus would not have declared that's the way it ought to be if it were not possible to attain that walk. If you want to know what kind of person you are, look at who you hang around with and what is your assessment of the kind of person they are. Not that we're in the business of uh, judging ones who walk before God, but we are in a position of assessing our own life. And if you want to uh, see what you look like, see who you hang with. I suppose I've said it before, but sometimes we hear that somebody got into the wrong crowd. No, they didn't. They chose that crowd because it's a reflection of what they were or what they are. So choose your friends wisely. Choose those that encourage your faith. Uh, choose those that uh, when you walk away, you're closer to God. Uh, you're uh, You're happier. He was, he was conscientious. He was obedient. He rose through the ranks because he was, as I mentioned, self-disciplined. He didn't whine about the tasks that he was given. He chose to shine even when they were difficult. You know he had difficulty. He was in the, in the military. It was a, a Gentile military. It was the Roman military. They weren't a kind people. Look what they did to Jesus. But he navigated that by walking carefully before God. He feared God with all of his house. It wasn't just his testimony. It was the testimony of his entire household. What, what the soldiers saw when he reported for duty is what the family saw before he left home. It's what he was. It's what we want to be. We don't want to be one person on Sunday when we're around the saints of God shouting glory. We want to be here what we are at home. So he was predictable. He was careful. So he lived carefully. He lived charitably. In that same second verse, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. He was charitable. He was benevolent. We serve with the most benevolent and charitable people in the world. We really do. When uh, a need arises, if we let it be known, and we can't always let it be known, we run the risk of acknowledging one and slighting another. Um, But uh, we certainly live that way. That's the way uh, Cornelius lived. He looked to give rather than to receive. We live in a society where the common practice is to look to receive. Well, those who look that way may be less entitled than they think they are. We might tend to look to those who are not saying anything rather than those who are saying a lot. But either way, He looked to give rather than to receive, and he gave much alms to the people. That's what he did. He first gave of himself to the Lord. But then he looked around and was cognizant of other needs that that might exist. He was not stingy. He didn't give out of a sense of of duty, but he gave uh, as unto the Lord. Like the paradox in the Proverbs 11:24, which reads this way: "There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but yet tendeth to poverty." Paul wrote to those at Corinth commending them, by the way, for their benevolence toward those who were in need when he solicited on behalf of the the church at Jerusalem, but also in other other ways. Uh, But he he told them, well, he he commended them, but he might have also shamed them a bit. He said, he that uh, soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, And he which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. And he told them, Give not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. When we when we rob God, we unwittingly rob ourselves of the blessing God has in store for us. So he lived charitably. Whenever this topic or one related comes to mind, I can't help but, but think of a elderly woman who in the 70s was a client of mine and quite wealthy. Back in that day, the highest federal income tax rate was 70%. We're getting closer to that now. But anyway, uh, she lamented because she had investments. Her and her husband had not had a, a wealthy career, but had uh, stored away wealth for many, many years. And so now she was a, a very wealthy woman after her husband had died, and she lamented that all the taxes that she was having to pay, and she felt like withdrawing her money and putting it in a tin can in her backyard. Well, she might have just been whining I'm not sure, but I did feel like I had to tell her, well, that's true, but you would lose the 30% you're currently gaining. Of course, there's 10% state income tax rate too, but anyway. And if she tithed, there was another 10%, but she didn't. So uh, she should have, she should have tithed and maybe there would have been a a better outcome for her in that, uh, in that way. But she was dripping with greed. She was stingy. She was unhappy. Because of all of this accumulated wealth, she reminds me of Zacchaeus with that sharp pencil trying to calculate how he can accumulate more. How much is enough? Just a little more, typically. But James indicted his readers. He says, your riches are corrupted. You have heaped uh, treasure. To yourselves for the last days, the rest of them shall be witness against you. Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesseth. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the love thereof, so a person can be flat broke and be guilty of covetousness. But it is certain we brought nothing into the world and we'll take nothing out of the world with us. That's a, that's a fact. we have never seen anyone do so. They can vote after they're dead, but they can't spend money after they're dead. I still get ballots for my parents, by the way. Um, but anyway. So he uh, he lived charitably. And finally, he lived prayerfully. He prayed to God always. So much so that a memorial came up before the Lord in heaven. How long does it take to build a memorial? You see the memorials across the United States and really around the world, they're not built in a day. The Washington Monument uh, took, uh, I think, around 40 years. Uh, the memorial, it takes years. Well, a memorial, in terms of a memorial of, of prayerfulness, it takes a lifetime. It's really never completed. But Cornelius was, was flattered. I've heard your prayers. He captured God's attention. We know God exists. Does God know we exist? Of course he does. But if, if we capture God's attention, can we capture his attention? We can. Uh, Cornelius did. So, so can we. In the, in the religious world, there's much uh, attention uh, and emphasis on worship services. But perhaps not so much on prayer services, we thank God we didn't it wasn't our idea when we stepped into these services, but every every service is a prayer service yeah. we can't boast on that there's uh, unless we take advantage of it, it's not a prayer service for us it, It's a church service, but we're not satisfied with a church service. we want it to be a prayer service. Worship without prayer perhaps is like a a classic car with a dead battery. It's beautiful, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Well, we want to get somewhere, and we thank God that prayer has the capacity to get us somewhere. For one thing, uh, prayer helps us to change our focus from the problem to the solution. Prayer helps us to look upward and inward rather than outward. Prayer saved us. Prayer keeps us. I've heard it said multiple times: "Prayer is the, the breath of a Christian. Stop breathing, you die. Stop praying, what's the outcome?" we refer with frequency to that golden altar of incense and to the prayer of David who said, let my prayer bits be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. He pictured himself as that golden altar of incense which was continually offering fragrance up to God of heaven who was pleased with it. Yeah. So we learn from from Cornelius and we can see the, the, the value of an appetite. He was hungry for God. Yeah. We can see the value of an altar service, a prayer meeting that represents opportunity every time we drop to our knees, no matter where we are. We, we need to find an altar. Might be in our home, bedside. Remember one testimony oh, maybe 40 years ago of somebody who was moving and they, as they were moving, they took some packages into a closet or maybe that it was emptying the closet either way. They remembered the, the, the words of Jesus, enter into your closet. So she was in the closet, dropped her knees. That was her altar. It's here. It's where you're seated. Yeah. It's wherever you lift up your heart to God. It's a secret place at your workplace. If you can find one. Yeah. It's the middle of the day. It's morning. It's evening the value of an appetite, the value of an altar, and the value of an answer. In this day, uh, we see what happened when Cornelius uh, met that criteria of living carefully, charitably, prayerfully. It was a spontaneous uh, event in a sense. They didn't anticipate it. They did not work up the Spirit. They prayed down the Spirit. The Spirit of God descended upon that group of believers and started a somewhat of a cottage meeting when Peter showed up there, only knowing that Cornelius had sent for him. He stepped in there with those six who he brought along and the three who had come to retrieve him. That was ten. Cornelius, meantime, had gathered together his household. It looks like his friends, his neighbors. Who knows how many were in that house. But before it was all over, the power of God fell, and they went their way rejoicing. May that be our testimony this morning as we sing this closing song and come to the place of prayer.